welcome you to our services this morning. Pray the Lord will bless us in our time of study this morning, that he'll bless those that will yet join us in the Sunday worship hour this morning. Uh, before we begin this morning, uh, a couple of announcements that I need to make. First of all, uh, we are now within two weeks of our uh, Bible conference, actually less than two weeks. Our Bible conference will be uh, June the 2nd through June the 4th. And I hope that you have made your plans to be with us during that time. I know that uh, Bill and I were talking on the phone this week, and he said, it's almost here. And I said, yeah, it is almost here. So uh, he and Gary will fly in. Uh, him and uh, Debbie will fly in on that Wednesday before. I think it's decent, May the 31st. And then Gary will fly in on uh, June the 1st. And then we'll begin, we'll have two services Friday night at 7 and at 8. And then we'll have two services Sunday morning at 10 and 11 with our uh, fish fry to follow. And then we'll have our regular services at 10 and 11 on Sunday morning, June the 4th. And we'll have a fellowship meal together after that. Bill and Gary will both be teaching and preaching three times for us during the conference. So you be in prayer for them as they make their plans and preparations that everything will go according to plan and that they'll arrive here safely and we'll have a blessed time of worship together in the gospel of God's grace. Also, I added a couple to the prayer list, the Rob Moore family. Sherry had let me know about it. Their 14-year-old daughter was killed in a four-wheeler accident this week, and she was a good friend of, uh, uh, of Ella. So as the Lord directs, remember them in prayer, Rob and Rob, and what, what's the wife's name? Rob and Jessica Moore, and her name was Elizabeth. They called her Bay, but 14 years old. It was good to have Kenny and Sandra here and their family. I know that they've gone through so much. Our hearts and our minds and our prayers go out to them, and our continued prayers go out to them as they continue to deal with this situation uh, with his mother, so you keep them in prayer as well. Anything else this morning? Donald, if you would, lead us in opening prayer, please. Okay, take your Bible with me this morning and turn back to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. This will be the second lesson in this particular series named, uh, the title of this lesson is Let Brotherly Love Continue, part two. Let Brotherly Love Continue, part two. I want us to read again verse one because for us, in order for us to truly understand exactly what the apostle is writing to us about in this particular chapter. We need to preface it with this one little brief statement that he started it off with. 
he said to these believers, and that's so important, let brotherly love continue to believers. Now, I know that this world, we, we all of us have, uh, have a religious background, everybody that's here. Uh, we were raised either in a religion of our mothers or our fathers or our spouses that we uh, married to. But, and we were all taught all our lives, and I say this with as much compassion as I can possibly muster, we were taught by well-intentioned individuals who thought they had our best interest in mind, and they were only teaching what they themselves knew and understood of the Scriptures. And so they taught us what they had been taught by those that were poor. And they, were, they, they taught us something like this that we're all God's children, that we're all brothers and sisters, that all of us are equal in the family of God. Well, the question we need to ask ourselves, especially in light of what the apostle writes here in Hebrews chapter 11, when he, th this is a commandment. Let brotherly love continue. And, I, and to me, I find it ironic that you have to tell brothers and sisters in Christ, let brotherly love continue. But I also know the nature of man. I know my own nature. And if you're honest with yourself, and that's the problem with most people in religion, they cannot and they will not be honest with themselves. If we know our own heart, we know what's in our own heart. Is that not the case? And if you, if, if you don't know this truth this morning, you, I don't care who you are, how moral you are, how sincere you are, how many years you've been in religion, how much you know about the Scriptures... If, if you do not know and understand that if God were to enter into judgment with you based on your best performance, your, not your worst, if God were to judge you on your best performance, the only thing that you could get is eternal condemnation. You don't know the true and living God. I've preached the gospel for almost 37 years. If God were to enter into judgment with me for my performance today, since I woke up this morning at 6 a.m. to the day, he was entering a judgment with me based on strict law and uncompromising justice. The only thing I could get, Bart, would be hell. That's it. If you don't know in your heart, in your mind, and in your soul, you don't understand and you do not realize and experience this in your life, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Who wrote that? The Apostle Paul. Ain't Joe Blow. This ain't some guy that's pretending to be something more than he was. This was the greatest of the apostles. This is the man that the Lord used to write two-thirds of the New Testament for you and me to have in our possession. This was a man who gave his life for the gospel of God's grace. This was a man who was, was beaten and left for dead who was hated, despised, persecuted, imprisoned. And yet he says that in spite of... He, this is a man who said that he had exceeded every other apostle. All of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God which is in me. I am what I am by the grace of God. That's what he said. But this is the man who says, I know that in me, right now, not, not in the... I had a woman tell me one time... I'd made a post on that. That's from Romans 7 is what we're talking about. I'd made a post on that, and in me 
that is, I know that in me, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And she wrote on my Facebook wall, and she told me, she said, you know he was talking about before he was saved. No, 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 no. That's not what he's talking about in Romans 7. He's talking about his present experience as a justified sinner. I know that because right after he said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing, he makes this statement. Oh, wretched man that I, not I was, that I am, presently. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's present. Thank God he said this. I thank my God through Christ Jesus my Lord. There's our deliverance, see? Christ Jesus came to save the ungodly. Abraham believed on him who justified what? Men and women that were trying their dead level best to straighten up their act, get right where they wouldn't get left. No, 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 no. He didn't come to call the righteous, those that think they're righteous, those that are trying to be righteous to salvation. He came to call sinners. Are you a sinner? And see, that, that's offensive to the natural man. Or to the natural woman. Oh, I, I might be a sinner, but if, you, if that's your thought this morning, examine yourself. <laughs> Sinners deserve one thing. Cannot be escaped. The wages of sin, death. No way out. One sin, one million sin. One, one tiny error. The smallest of sin forever disqualifies you from the presence of God's glory. You say, well, if that's the case, ain't nobody in here going. Well, you're, you're on the right path. If it's based on us, I'm, I'm looking at a place full of lost folks this morning. You say, you can't judge me that I can judge you because I, I know me. <coughs> I know me. I know what's in my heart. So it means what we got, we got to look somewhere else. We've got to look to Christ. That's who he's writing to here. Men and women who have been brought by God the Holy Spirit in regeneration and conversion under the preaching of the gospel to know and acknowledge who and what they are. What? They're sinners. They're sinners by birth. They're sinners by nature. They're sinners by, even by practice. And as sinners, what do they need? They need a Savior. They don't need somebody to put them in a savable condition. The, the very act that we need to be saved shows that we cannot do anything. Nothing. And so the first thing you've got to understand in, these in this command that he's given, let brotherly love to continue, we need to, first of all, be able to determine who are our brothers. You ever thought about that? Because if I'm going to let brotherly love continue, what do I got to do? I got to know who my brother and sister in Christ is. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't you go out of here and say, well, that man down there says that we don't have to love everybody. Our responsibility is believers, as justified saints, those redeemed by Christ's blood, by his righteousness, with his righteousness charged to us. 
and our sins charged to him and put away perfectly and completely by his obedience unto death is to do what? Our responsibility is to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, all the time, Kenny. That's the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it, what? Love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Well, go read the parable of the Good Samaritan. He, he tells you who your neighbor is. Our neighbor, it doesn't just include our best friend. Who does it include? It includes our enemy. That's our responsibility. But listen, honestly, have you done that? It, see, it's easy to love those that love us, our friends, people that do us the best good, seek the best for us. I t- it's hard to love those who hate us. But we're not relieved from that responsibility. But I tell you what, one thing is sure and certain. Those that are born of God, those who have Christ in them, the hope of glory, in regeneration, conversion, you know what they do? They love one another. They love one another. Hold your place here in Hebrews chapter 13. Turn with me, first of all, to Matthew chapter 12. Verse 46. Who are but let brotherly love continue? Who's our brother? Well, look here. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, it says, While he, this is Christ, yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood without, desiring to speak with him. Now, who's outside? Mary and his physical brethren. Right? Then one said unto him, verse 47, Behold, thy mother and thy brother, stand, brethren, stand without, desiring to speak with thee. His, his, his natural mom, the mother that bore him, standing outside the door, desiring to speak to him. You'd think he would have dropped everything and went out the door. Right? Talked to his mother. Well, notice what he said, verse 48. But he answered and said unto, he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? See that? This is our Lord. Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hands toward his disciples. Now, his mother and his natural brethren are outside. And I would assume, based on what I know from the Scriptures, that these natural brethren that were outside are the same one who's in John chapter 7. They encourage our Lord Jesus Christ to go up and do in Jerusalem the miracles that he's done everywhere else, to go up to the Feast of the Tabernacles. And our Lord looked at those natural brethren. He said, your time is always here. My time's not come. Because he said, if I go up there, what are they going to do? They're going to hate me. They don't hate you. They'll hate me. Why? Because I'm going to declare to them the truth that the natural man hates and despises, that their deeds, that participating in that feast of the tabernacles given and instructed and instituted by God, they thought that somehow or another it made the difference between life and death. He said, their deeds are what? 
evil. They weren't a bunch of liars and thieves and murderers and prostitutes and LGBTQ people. What were they? They were religious people practicing religion. They were the ones that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 10. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, my kinsman according to the, listen to this, to the flesh. They got a natural tie to it. What's his prayer? For? That they might be saved. For I bear them record, I bear testimony to, against them that they have a zeal for God. Feast of the tabernacle, the Passover, all the ceremonies, all the rituals. They have a zeal for God. Most important thing of all, not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of one thing. Huh? <laughs> And y'all, if you don't have it marked in your Bible at this point in time, please put it down. If you want a definition of what it is to be lost, it's Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. What is lost? Everybody told me lost people, people weren't in church. You know, lost people, people don't pray. Well, you got a lot of problems. Muslims pray. Seventh-day Adventists pray. Jehovah Witnesses pray. Heck, even atheists at some point in time, they pray, oh God, you know, when things go wrong. But that's what they always tell me. That's, that's what Christians are. That's, what, that's the people that are, that are doing their dead level best. You know, and to be lost is to not be doing that. They being ignorant of the righteousness of God. What are they ignorant of? The righteousness of God. Do you know what the righteousness of God is today? I hope you do after 37 years of preaching it to you. I hope you know. God, tell you what, to be ignorant of the righteousness of God is to be lost. That's what, that's what Romans 10 verses 1 through 3 tells you. There's, there, they started a, uh, a series this week. I got interested on it because I ran up on another uh, sermon, which I don't, I don't spend a lot of time looking into false religion a whole lot. I spend all my time looking at what's true. And they had a series that I saw one night this week on AMC or some other, and it was on that. Anybody ever heard of Hillsong Church? You know what Hillsong Church is? They got 125,000 members across the world. And they had a little dude. I remember seeing this guy not too long ago. His name Carl Lentz. And he, he was the hotshot dude. Started... Hillsong NYC in New York City. Him and the guy that's the head of Hillsong Ministries from my down in Australia. And uh, they started it with a little nothing. Well, they had like they had like seven or eight thousand members. And they talked about, and this is the thing that's ironic. They talked about that they, that their music, Hillsong Music Ministry, and their worship and praise songs were what put them on the put them on, and everybody sings them. I encourage you to go, go, go home this afternoon and Google Hillsong Music Ministry. Read the words to those praise songs these people sing. Got nothing to say about Christ. Nothing. I mean, absolutely. Kenny, it's worthless. Oh, it didn't make you money. Got, got great tunes. I tell you what, I liked Steppenwolf a long time ago, too, and they had some great tunes. 
Had some great tunes, emotional. I, I still, I've told you this, I, I'll continue to tell you, you put Brian's song, the song Brian's song on, and let me hear it, I'll go to squalling. I will, because it brings back those memories from that movie when I watched that about Brian Piccolo dying from cancer. I guarantee you, that, that's why they put music in movies, because it triggers our emotions, our sentiment. And it, listen, it, can you not listen to music from back in your youth and just almost be instantly transported? I can, I can go back to the 70s, can you? Listen to the music that Kenny and I grew up riding around talking on the CB radio to each other back years ago in Manny, Louisiana. I can listen to, to, to the Eagles and the Doobie Brothers and all that music from back in, and just almost instantaneously I can float back into 1974 to 1976. But listen, that, that's, why, that's why we're so careful about what we sing. It's not about emotions. This thing of Christianity, true salvation, eternal life, it's got nothing to do with how I feel. It's got everything to do with thus saith the Lord. See, it's, it's God's record of me. It's not how I feel about the record. <laughs> this is the record. What's the record? That God hath given to us eternal life. He, what's he done? He's given it to me. And his life is where? It's in his son. He that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son hath not life. So our Lord tells them, he said, who's, who's my mother? Who are my brethren? He stretched forth his hands toward his disciples and said, behold my mother and my brethren. Now listen, here it is. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my mother, my brother, and my sister, and my mother. So who, who when he says let brotherly love continue, who are my brethren, who are my sisters, who are my mothers? Got a mom, you did too. I had a dad, you do too. I was connected. To, I've got a brother that I love dearly. I truly do. I mean, I, I, we, all our differences we've had, I still love him dearly. But listen, when our Lord said that his mama, his, his physical mother is outside, and he says, who's my mother? He didn't say, he didn't say there's my mother. Did he? He didn't say, bring my mother in. He looks at his disciples and he says, who's, who's my mother? Who's my brother? He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What's the will of my Father which is in heaven? To hear religion tell us, what is it? Keeping the Ten Commandments. Have you done that? Honestly. You do realize there's more than ten. Uh-huh. And it, it, it's the, the life is promised not to the one that knows about the law, but the one who does what? Keeps the law. Perfectly and completely and eternally. Again, 
Ain't no human ever walked on this planet ever. It's only been one human that's ever walked here that's done that perfectly. The Lord Jesus Christ, and he did it as a substitute. He did it as my surety, as my representative. He did everything that was required of me, and he did it in such a way that by the grace of God, what is it? It's mine. So what is it to do the will of my Father which is in heaven? What was Christ always encouraging you, you, men and women to do? Do what? Believe on him whom God hath sent. Why did God send him? You ever thought about that? Oh, he sent him to show his love. No, he didn't send him to show his love. He sent him here because he loved. And his love required what? Perfect satisfaction. This isn't, this isn't a, a trial and error thing. God requires perfect righteousness of you and me. And I, if you don't have it, you're not going to have it. And the only place it can be found is outside of our city. There's an article in the back of the bulletin. I would encourage you to read it. It's one of my favorite articles ever written by a man on this planet. It's a, a, righteousness in which, a, a righteousness in which God himself cannot find a flaw by William Gadsby. And the only righteousness that God cannot find a flaw with is not mine. It's outside of me. It's in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know this much, John wrote, the Apostle John wrote concerning this thing of our brethren, who they are. He tells us this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life, who? The Lord Jesus Christ, for the life was manifested, and we've seen it, and bear witness, and show it unto you, that eternal life, which would... What's he given to us? <laughs> Let the scriptures be your guide. He's given to us eternal life. He tells us here, listen, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. So life is where? It's not in a church. It's not in a profession. It's not in our character and our conduct. Where is it at? It's in the one who is himself eternal life. And he goes on. That which we've seen, that's what we've heard, that's what we declare unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship, and he says, he said, that's his goal. He says, I want you to have fellowship with us who've seen Christ, who've seen the life, who've declared the life. We want you to have fellowship with us. And if your fellowship is with us, who else is our fellowship with? With the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He also said this. He wrote in 2 John, He said, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in the truth as we have received the commandment from our Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning. Here's the commandment. 
Let brotherly love continue. Here it is. That we love one another. That's the commandment. And this is love. That we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment. That as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered in the world that confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that you lose not those things which we, which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Who's my brethren? Those who abide in the doctrine of Christ. Whatever the doctrine of Christ is. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, listen to this, let brotherly love continue. If any come to you and bring not this doctrine, which doctrine? Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Jehovah our salvation, the anointed of God, the Messiah, came into this world to do what he was sent to do. That's what, that's what confession Jesus Christ is coming to flesh. It's not just a confession that a historical person came here and was born of Mary in a, in a, in a manger and grew up and was nailed to a tree and put in a tomb and rose again. You can know all them historical facts and still not know him as the Christ sent of God. We confess, we acknowledge, we rest, we rely exclusively on what? Jehovah, our salvation, is coming to flesh. To do what our God told us he would do. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He said, if anybody comes to you and bring not this doctrine, be kind and compassionate to him and embrace him and throw your arms around him and call him your brother. No, uh mm now, if they don't bring this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that bids him or her Godspeed, what are they? They are partakers of their evil deed. Let brotherly love continue. My relationship has nothing to do with people outside the four walls. My relationship is with those who believe this gospel, who rest in Christ is the Lord there right? I don't care whether it's my flesh and blood, if it's my own children, my grandchild, my aunts, my uncles, people I work with. I can be kind and compassionate, and I should be kind and compassionate. I should do all I can to, every time that an opportunity arises to preach the gospel to them. They're not my brethren. No, they're not. Brotherly love is between those that are of the same father. Born of God, adopted sons and daughters in the family of God. Now, look back over at our text. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verse 2. He says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Now, what's this a reference to? We, we just went through Hebrews on our Wednesday night Zoom Bible study. And we talked somewhat about this. But, you know, Abraham, uh, he entertained three angels one time. And two of them were angels by nature. But, you know, one of them, one of them was an angel by office. How do we know that? Because Abraham bowed down and worshipped him. <laughs> bowed down and worshipped him. 
And God's clearly told us we don't worship what? We don't worship angels, not, you know, we don't. Matter of fact, it's forbidden. But when this, the premier angel, the angel of the covenant, the angel of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ stood before this man Abraham, Abraham fell down and worshipped him. He didn't tell him to get up. You know, there were other occasions where, uh, you remember, the angels came in to Sodom and Gomorrah. Went in, remember when they went in there? And, and Lot fell down before them. What did he tell them? Get up. I'm an angel. I'm, I'm just an angel. I'm not God. Remember that rich young ruler that came to our Lord Jesus Christ? And he said, good master. Good master. What good thing can I do that I might have life? Sounds like a good legitimate question, isn't it? Good master. What good thing can I do that I might have life? What our Lord, what was the next words out of our Lord's mouth to that man? Why callest thou me good? Be careful about the words you use. Why callest thou me good? There's none good save who? God. That word good in the original in the scriptures, it's a derivative of the word God. And see, the problem was when I, this man approached our Lord Jesus Christ, when he called him good, he was addressing him how? As a man. Just like flesh and blood. Not as, he didn't come to him as the son of God. And he wasn't approaching him as the master. He wasn't approaching him as the savior. Because how do we know he wasn't approaching him as the savior? What good thing can I do that I might have life? So he's looking for salvation, but he's looking for it the wrong way. And so our Lord corrects him basically by his own commandment and tells him, you can't call me good. You can't address me. If you think that I'm a man for you to call me good is to make me equal with who? With God. So what the apostle's telling us here, and that doesn't mean that there's that we're going to entertain angels here in this life. What's he telling us? He's telling these apostles, uh, the apostles telling us, that we ought, we ought to be careful to tr- the way we treat who? If he entertained angels, who's to say that somebody that I'm close to or the Lord brings into my life by providential appointment, that they might not be one of, one of God's redeemed? Huh? See, those who have this brotherly love that we're talking about through this section, the world will look at them. You know what they think? The world will look at everything that I said to you up to this point, and I'll say, that guy is just angry at everybody. I'm not angry at anybody. Huh? That's a mean man there to make those kind of statements. Let me ask you this. If you had cancer and you went to a doctor, you didn't know you had cancer, and you went to a doctor and the doctor did all the tests and the test told him that you had cancer, would you think he, do you think he's unloving and unkind for coming in there and telling you you got cancer? Is that unloving and unkind? What's he te- he's telling you you've got a problem. What do we got to do? We got to deal with the problem. Well, let me ask you this. If he, didn't, if he knew and he didn't tell you, and then later on you get sicker, and you get sicker, 
and you go to another doctor six months later, a year later, and the doctor said, if you'd been here a year earlier, we might could have done something. Now what would you think of that former doctor? Huh? Who was mean and unkind? The one that wasn't willing to tell you the truth. I thank my God through Christ Jesus my Lord that God, God brought Henry Mahan across my path 37 years ago, and he did not give one iota about what my feelings were. Told me the truth. Straight out. That's why I don't apologize for what I preach. I will not. I know that the only thing God uses to bring his people to true faith and true repentance is a declaration of the righteousness of God. If you're going to be saved, what do you got to hear? Somebody got to tell you about this righteousness. I've spent 36 plus years of my life, y'all can witness to it because y'all been with me since the beginning. 36 years, that's all I've talked about for 36 years. I've been with us 12 years, 10 years. I guarantee you you heard the same thing. I, I always think about David's step. It's a, it's a one, this, this gospel we preach is a one spring banjo. And we just get on that one note and just bling, 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 bling. Every time. Every time I sit out this book, you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for Christ. Every verse. Every passage, every sermon, if I do not preach out Christ's blood and His righteousness, I don't declare you how God can be just and justify the ungodly. I have been dishonest with your soul and I have been dishonest with the Word of God. There's a lot of dishonest folks in this world. They'll tell you what you want to hear. They'll tell you what makes you feel good about yourself. But they're dishonest. But the world will call it hard-hearted, and they'll say we're ungracious because this love, this brotherly love, you know what it won't do? It won't compromise. I would not compromise this gospel to include my granddaughter in the kingdom of heaven. And I, you know how much I love my... I only got one. I wouldn't compromise it for her. I wouldn't compromise it for my kids. I certainly wouldn't compromise it for any of my family. Why? Because I fear my God more than I fear what men can do or say or think about me. And see, this love demands, you know, it demands that you test every spirit. Every man that comes preaching, you need to test him. You need to try him. Put what he says under the scrutiny of the Word of God, and if it doesn't square with the Scriptures, go on away from it. But if it squares with what God's Word says concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment to come, you best bow to it. Because not to bow to it, what does it prove? It proves that exactly what the Scripture says, the Word of God is a savor of life unto life, and it's a savor of death unto death. The same gospel that sets men and women free and calls God's elect to true faith and true repentance, it's the same gospel that condemns those who refuse to believe, who refuse to rest in Christ's righteousness. This world and its religion, it doesn't want to be exposed. And it desires to be encouraged in those false things and those false professions of faith. I, I, I say, I was, I just, I, I, as I watched that thing on that big church up there, and it's, it's, it's basically about all the problems and difficulties that arose over time. The little young preacher, he, he got 
you know, he became like a rock star is what he became. I mean, I, it's an interesting thing to watch. To me, it's so far from the truth that it wouldn't deceive anybody. But it amazed me as I sat there and watched that, how those people are so caught up in all that stuff. All that, you know, all of them with their hands up in the air and all that dancing around and bouncing like they, yeah, and I'm like, and, and one guy, one of the reporters said that, that yeah, if you're looking for doctrine, don't come here. <laughs> what did I read to you in Second John a while ago? If any man abide not in what? The doctrine of Christ. Hath not God. My generation is scared of doctrine. But I take it back. They're not scared of it. They detest doctrine. Don't give us your doctrine. I sit there and I, I watch that young kid stand up on that rostrum in front of those 7,000 young men and women of various shades and colors and diversity. and They were all just uh, rocking and rolling. I thought, you let somebody preach the gospel, walk up in that pulpit and preach what we preached this morning all 7,000 of them would have went out the door. <laughs> they would. Why? They'd be offended over the doctrine. That's why Paul said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable first of all. What's all Scripture given? It's profitable for doctrine first, for correction. For instruction in righteousness. What's it, what's it given for? Instruction in righteousness. Whose? Yours? No. His. That the man of God might be the person, not, not man as a species, but it's, it's a generic term talking about men and women, that the man of God might be perfect. Now, how's the only way you can be perfect, Bart? The righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. Thoroughly furnished unto every good work. The only way you can ever do a good work, what have you got to be? You got to be righteous. If, you have, if you're not righteous, you can't do anything. No obedience is acceptable. But thank God those that are in Christ, what? Our obedience is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? We're already righteous. I mean, you think about your present abiding position. We're going to preach on that this morning in the worship hour. What is my, how does God view you right now as you sit in Grace Baptist Church in Ruston, Louisiana? If, if God were to enter into judgment with you, how does he see you? See, that's all that matters. You ever thought about that? That's the important question. How does God see me? It's not how you see me. I don't care what you think about me. But I, tell, I, I care tremendously about how God views me. How does he view me? How does he view you? But what, what does the scripture say? I know what I feel. <laughs> uh, yeah. Life is horrible. <laughs> this this thing, this old body of clay, this this fleshly thing that we live in, it, it is so tempted and tried and torn. This week, you know, it, I, I struggled all week trying to get, get something down on paper. And it seemed like everything kept coming up. And I finally had some thoughts on what I was going to preach on Sunday, Kenny. 
and and uh, a guy called me and said, uh, I need to meet you up at the church about, about a computer because I thought he was going to help me with the computer issues we've got with our unsynced audio and video. And we come up here, and I sit here, and he tells me, what's the problem? And I go through all this spiel, and, you know, I, I put way too many words out there anyhow, and I talk for almost an hour telling the problem we got. We got to the end, and he looks at me, and he says, He's, he's pulling on, he's got a backpack on, you know. <laughs> he pulls on his backpack strap. He said, uh, oh, really? He said, I'm just in sales. I'm not in tech service. He said, he said I came here to sell your laptop. And I'm like, I wasted two hours up here. And then I got back to the house, and it was time to go pick up Zoe at school. And, I, you know, and then I, the day was over. And and I yeah and, and listen I, I I don't pray like I should I know I mean let's just be honest I, I mean these, this I don't say this to try to make myself in in a sense of false humility be something that I'm not but I, I prayer is so hard find so many excuses not to pray find so many excuses not to study the Word of God and Satan in my own conscience and the world looks at me and says to me all the time. How can you be a child of God? You ever get those thoughts? How, how can you think the things that you think or do the things that you do and claim that you know the true and living God? Ever been there done that? What does God say of me? Get this verse in your mind. This is Jude, I think it's verse 24, 25. This is how God views his children this morning. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Doesn't mean that you don't sin. We know that can't mean what the, that 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 can't be the meaning because John, the apostle John, he wrote, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. If any man sin. So what do we do? We do. I'm not trying to justify sin. If any man sin, what do we got? We have an advocate. We have a paraclete. We have a surety. We have one that draws to our side. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is our propitiation. What? He's our perfect satisfaction. So he says, now unto him that's able to keep you from falling, listen to this, and to present you to himself. Prevent you before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I don't feel like there's any exceeding joy in Christ. How does he present me to himself? With exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power both now and forever. Amen. How does he present you before the throne? Faultless. I, I, Henry got it from somebody. We, I, we've all got everything from everybody. I don't know exactly who he got it from, but I, I, I've always loved this statement. With his spotless garment on, holy as the Holy One. Uh-huh. God views us. He made him to be sin for us. 
that we might be made not just the righteousness of the law or the righteousness of man, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's how God views me this morning. He sees me in his son, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Okay, we'll stop right there. Did I even cover a verse? I don't think I did. Yeah, I did. I covered verse 2. <laughs> You're dismissed to worship hour. No, we didn't get a new computer. Oh, okay. He uh, he told me that it was not uh, was not the computer. Hmm. All right. He got me to set up a uh, a live stream, which I didn't know you could do that. I downloaded a sermon onto the computer that I knew was in sync yeah. from about six months ago, and he put it in a loop. And we let it. We, we started broad, broadcast to sermon audio and YouTube and yeah. Facebook Live. And he said, just let it run. And he said, if it's the computer, he said, the audio and video, even get the out recording, of will get out of sync. It ran for three hours and it never got out. So he told me, he said, the problem's got to be with the way the video is going in, or the way the audio is going in. Well, I had ordered this USB microphone, and so we're not using the soundboard. Okay. It, we un unplugged the audio from all of the stuff under here where it was all running through to get the video in. So the only thing going through those converters now is just the video. Okay. And the audio is plugged in on its own USB. Yeah, me, me and Matt ran a, almost an hour-long stream yesterday. Okay. It's never, usually, I can't three times this week. Stream, yeah. 15, 30 minutes. Where he said he's got to work back. He, I mean, he, he changed a bunch of settings. And, uh, he said, what's it, what's it say in the computer? You 
wonder why the Facebook stream didn't start. Says it unseen. Well, the sermon audio one's fine. The amount of stuff that has been added up here. I don't know what. Remember, it took a bit yesterday, too. It's just got the delay is all. It'll get there in a minute. It started yesterday. H5. No, it's a different stream key. See, it's a different stream key. Yeah. for Facebook ain't running. welcome you to our services this morning. If you would take your bulletin and turn to the call to worship, it's to the tune of all things work out for good. Let's stand together. Sunk in deep distress to Calvary look and comfort draw from Christ our righteousness, from Christ our righteousness. This is the name by which he's known, the name. Saints confess, gaze on him, humble soul, and on the Lord our righteousness, the Lord our righteousness, a title just a pardon seal, a spotless wedding. Yea, grace and glory are revealed in Christ our righteousness, in Christ our righteousness. Oh, that my faith could Jesus claim, 
No more should doubts depress. Fain would I triumph in this name, the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. Matt, is it okay? Take your Bibles with me and turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. We're going to read this chapter before we go to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sins unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in the time that when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall, come not, they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eyes. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and bless us this morning as we sing, seek to pray, sing, and preach his gospel. All, if you would, lead us in opening prayer, please. Take your red folder, and let's turn to Thy works, not mine, O Christ.
Thy work's not mine, O Christ, speak gladness to this heart. They tell me all is done, they bid my fear depart. To whom save thee, who canst alone for sin atone, Lord, shall I flee. Thy pain's not mine, O Christ, upon the shameful tree. Have paid the law's full price and purchased peace for me. To whom save thee, who canst alone for sin atone, Lord, shall I flee. Thy cross, not mine, O Christ, has borne the awful load of sins that none in heaven or earth could bear but God. To whom save thee, who canst alone for sin atone, Lord, shall I flee. Thy death, not mine, O Christ, has paid the ransom due. Ten thousand deaths like mine would have been all too few. To whom save thee, who canst alone for sin atone, Lord, shall I flee. Thy righteousness, O Christ, alone can cover me. No righteousness avails save that which is of thee. To whom save thee, who canst alone for sin atone, Lord, shall I flee. welcome you to our services this morning. Pray the Lord will bless us by His Holy Spirit and that He and He alone will be faithful to His promise that where two or three are gathered in His name for His glory, for His honor, that He'll be pleased to manifest Himself in our presence. A couple of announcements before we begin this morning. First of all, uh, this week, this Saturday at 2 o'clock, we have a wedding for one of our church members. Hannah Ward and Drew Merrow will be getting married this Saturday at uh, Tuesday. I'll be doing the wedding service for them, so we look forward to that. Pray the Lord's blessings upon that service and upon them as they begin their life together. Secondly, we're less than two weeks away from our Bible conference. Uh, Bill and Debbie will fly in on Wednesday, May the 31st, Gary, Lord willing, should arrive on June the 1st. He's coming into Shreveport. Bill and Debbie are coming into Gary, into uh, Monroe. I couldn't get Gary into Shreveport. I don't know why planes don't fly 
to Jacksonville, from Jacksonville, North Carolina, into Monroe Airport, but I could only fly him into Shreveport. So we're looking forward to having him, both of them here. I'll put in the bulletin next week the exact schedule, but we're going to follow the same schedule as we've had in the past. We'll have two services Friday night, 7 and 8. We'll have two services Sunday morning at, or Saturday morning at 10 and 11. We'll have our church-wide fish fry following that service catered fish fry, and then Sunday we'll have our normal services with Gary teaching in the Sunday Bible class hour, and Bill will conclude our Bible conference in the 11 o'clock worship hour uh, that Sunday, and then we'll have a fellowship meal together after that. So you be in prayer for them that they'll arrive safely, and we have several guests that are coming in. Uh, we have uh, people coming in from Canada. We have people coming in from Florida. We have two couples coming in from up in uh, 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 Kentucky, uh, we have uh, hopefully a, a, a dear brother in Christ coming down from Missouri as well that will be here with us. So we're looking forward to having uh, time with them and uh, that time of fellowship and worship together. Also, we added a name to the prayer list, and I would point it out to you because it was a tragic event. Uh, a young lady, 14 years old, named Elizabeth, she went by the name Bay, was killed in a four-wheeler accident, 14 years of age uh, this week. Her, uh, the Rob and, I forgot the name again, jo Rob and Jessica Moore family. So you remember them as the Lord is pleased to bring them uh, to your mind in prayer. Remember Kenny and his family. Uh, his father passed away this week. His mother is in, still in CCU over in, is that a critical care unit? and Willis Knight North in Shreveport. So you keep them in prayer as they go forward. Anything else this morning? Okay. We welcome our visitors. Good to have you with us this morning. Those that are watching us via Sermon Audio on YouTube, we hope that we have the audio-video sync issues corrected. I noticed for some reason I blew the Sermon Audio, the uh, Facebook uh, live stream is not working this morning. Uh, it, it, the persistent stream key, which you, I don't even understand that. Somehow the persistent stream key got turned off and the stream key changed, so it's not running on Facebook, So, but it is running on uh, YouTube and Facebook, I mean, Sermon Audio this morning. I'd like for you to take your Bible this morning and turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I actually had begun a message from the psalm, and I might go there next week. I'm not real certain. But uh, these verses that we're going to look at this morning just got hung up in my head, and I couldn't get away from them. I've entitled this message, and we won't really deal with it till the very end of this message, but I've entitled this message, An Israelite Indeed. An Israelite Indeed. You say, well, that's an interesting title for a message. Well, just wait till we get to the end. Wait till we get to the end. I tell you, if you go back, and you know, the Gospel of John is just so important. All of God's Word, we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So the entirety of God's Word, from Genesis to Revelation, all of it is for our benefit, for our encouragement. It is for the salvation of God's sheep 
and for the encouragement of God's elect in this present evil world. But when we think about the Gospels in particular, they all present our Lord Jesus Christ in a different fashion. And the Gospel of John presents the Lord Jesus Christ in his character as who he is. Who is he? He is the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. So we're talking about the eternal Son of God, the everlasting Word of God. And that's the way this this book begins in John chapter 1, describing the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know, uh, if you know anything about the Word of God, everything that our Lord did, every word that He spoke, every miracle that He performed, all of it was to confirm that He was indeed the Messiah promised by God, prophesied of by God's prophets, who would actually come in time to save His people from their sins. But if you go back in you, a few verses in this chapter you'll see that the Jews, and this is so important, the Jews were looking for the Messiah. And if you know anything about national Israel, they're still looking for the Messiah, the Jews are. And that word Messiah, it means the anointed, and they were looking for him, these Jews, and I'll describe for you who these Jews are in just a second. The Jews were looking for him so much, that you know what, they sent a group of individuals, some priests, and some rabbis down to inquire John of John the Baptist in his baptismal ministry. Listen, look, listen to this. In verse 19 through 22 of John chapter 1, and this is the record. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? Because they're looking for Messiah. And they're curious. And so they send men to ask him, who art there? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. See, that's what they wanted to know. Are you the Christ? Or should we look for another? He said, I'm not the Christ. And they ask him, well, what then? Are, are you a lies? And he saith, I'm not. Art thou that prophet? And he said, no. Then said they unto him, who art thou? That we may give answer to them that sent us, what sayest thou of thyself? Now, I need to, to, to get this clear as to who's, who's sent down here inquiring. This word, the Jews, you know, it said, they said that when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, that word, the Jews, means belonging to the Jewish nation. But if, if we let the Scriptures interpret the Scriptures, we know that there is a particular group of Jews in mind here by this statement, the Jews. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the Pharisees. If you look at verse 24, it says, And they which were sent, now they were sent to ask questions who he was, they were sent, who sent them? The Pharisees sent them. The Pharisees sent them. Now keep this in mind this morning. The Pharisees, and the Sadducees, those who were considered masters. Remember our Lord Jesus Christ when he talked to Nicodemus, he said, Thou art a master, you're a teacher in Israel, and you don't know these things about the new birth. So these scribes and Pharisees who were considered masters in Israel, they were considered the instructors of all things spiritual to Israel. They were absolutely clueless concerning the true nature and the true purpose of the Messiah promised of God and prophesied about in the Scriptures. How do we know that? 
Our Lord Jesus Christ stands before these same men who sent these Jews to inquire John the Baptist. He said to them in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. In other words, you're searching the Scriptures. They thought they had life by their searching the Scriptures. And I tell you, you know, there's a lot of people think that that if they read this book, they're going to get life just because they read this book. Read it cover to cover. I remember when I was in false religion, I, I found a, a, it was actually Mr. Spurgeon's way to read through the Bible once a year where you read so many chapters in the Old Testament, one chapter in the New Testament. You do that every single solitary day of the year. You read through the Bible once a year, every year. And I was dead set on doing that once a year. You can memorize this book. There's people that have. I remember Bill Bradley. He supposedly knew the entire, which I can't envision knowing First Second Kings, First Second Chronicle. Like my, I could see knowing some of them other books, but those books to know them, be able to quote all them names all the way through. You can quote it. You can know it. You can search it. You can research it. And yet he says, "They are they which testify of who." The one they claimed they were looking for. They were looking for Messiah. And you will not come to me that you might have life. Because life's one place. Where is it at? It's in the sun. They, you think about it. These Jews, these Pharisees, and even the Jews today, they're still looking for somebody who would deliver them out from underneath earthly rule and dominion. One who would be like David. And they were absolutely oblivious to the need that they had of salvation from their sins. That's what this was all about. Listen to it. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake. Who's going to do this to them for these, his apostles for their name's sake? The religious people. The Jews. Because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had, hadn't, they had not had sin. Was Christ saying that if he had never spoke to them, they were not sinners? No, they had, had no knowledge of sin. But he says, now that I've come and I've spoken, I've told them what sin is, what righteousness is, what judgment to come is, what? They have no cloak. And the, the, the reality of what these guys knew what did they know? They had studied the Old Testament. What did Ezekiel tell them? The soul that sins twice. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. You think they had broke the law? To their mindset, they had not. And I know people like that. You do too. There's people out there that are good people, moral people. They tell you real quick. Well, I, you know, I, I, I hadn't really broke God's law. But here's the thing: even though the Jews were in darkness concerning the true nature and office of the God-sent Messiah, thank God, God has always had a people in this world who He causes to look for and to find the promised seed. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. How many? All that the Father giveth. They shall come where? To the promised seed. And him that cometh unto me, 
I will in no wise cast out. Now listen, from Eve right after the fall to Noah before the flood to Abraham to Moses at the burning bush to King David over into the New Testament to old Simeon that held our Lord Jesus Christ and now to John the Baptist and his disciples and he's mentioned in this text that we're looking at this morning. All of them were looking for the Messiah. All of them were. John the Baptist, think about it. He was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He pointed out Christ, not to, he pointed sinners not to himself. Where did he point them to? He pointed them to the Lord Jesus Christ. How did he point them to him? Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of of the world. Folks, they had been looking for a lamb since God first slew a lamb to clothe our parents in the garden. How do you know that? When she got that first son, when, when Cain was born, what did she say? I have got a man. She was looking for the man because she had a promise. What was the promise? The woman's seed would bruise a serpent's head and he, the serpent, would bruise his head. From that point forward, everybody's looking for that lamb. And thank God, God typified that lamb. And he always, listen, he never pointed to the temple or the tabernacle or the sacrifices or the ceremonies and ever told them or us or anybody else in history that there was life in any of that. All that pointed where? To the one who was to come, the one whom it typified. So here's John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, pointing sinners to the Lamb of God. Notice what happened in John chapter 1. Look at verse 35. And the next day, this is after our Lord was baptized. The next day after John stood and two of his disciples. Now he's got disciples, followers. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith to his disciples that are with him, he points at Christ again, and he points him out in his proper character. Behold the Lamb of God. Verse 37. And two, the two disciples heard him speak. Not John. Who'd they hear speak? They heard our Lord speak. Because our Lord said, My sheep hear my voice. They heard our Lord speak, and what'd they do? Read it for yourself. What did they do? They followed Jesus. And John said, well, I'm just offended at two of my apostles. If we're going to leave me and follow him. No, because who's, who's John following? John's already said, I'm not worthy to buckle his shoes. John the Baptist was a sinner just like Jesus' mother Mary was. Needing a Savior. Needing a Redeemer. Verse 38, and Jesus turned, and here's these two disciples, and it tells us who one of them is. And from everything that I did in study and research this week, you know, John, the writer of this book, you know, John never refers to himself. He's always, he always refer, he, you know, when he writes of himself, he says the other disciple. Or he says the disciple who put his head on Christ's breast. How do we know that was John? Because the other writers, when they wrote of it, who'd they say John was resting his head on our Lord's chest? 
So they, most of the writers that I encountered in studying this, they said one of, the, one of the disciples that was following John was the Apostle John, the writer of this book. I don't know. It doesn't really make any difference. But the other one, notice what it says. It says, The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed him. Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. What did they do? They came and saw. <laughs> Where he dwelt and they abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was who? Andrew. And Andrew had a brother. His brother was who? Simon Peter. In the verses, these verses, we see our Lord's faithfulness to his office and his work, seeking out and finding his lost sheep, calling them by name to himself. And in this instance, it involved Andrew and his brother Simon Peter. And Andrew heard by the mouth of John the Baptist about Christ as the Lamb of God, and by God's grace he believed, and he followed him. What does that mean? Faith comes how? By hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. He followed our Lord, became a disciple of our Lord. And immediately, what does he do? Andrew, he went and sought out his brother, Peter. And he got Peter down on his hands and knees and said, Say the sinner's prayer. No, what did he do? He brought him where? He brought him to Christ. Look at verse 41, 42. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found, what did I tell you at the beginning of this message? What are they doing? They were all looking for the Messiah. He said, We found the Messiah. We found him. As which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought Peter to Jesus, him to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, Thou art Simon Peter, son of Jonah, which thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Can't we safely say and conclude that this is the fulfillment of our Lord Jesus Christ's word, but there were the scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Jesus answered them, saying, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's four of them. He's come to call sinners to repentance. Now keep this in mind as we look at these two next two men, because we want to really zero in on these two guys that are mentioned next here. In our text. Look at our text for this morning. Look at verse 43. In the day following, Jesus would go forth unto Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? You know, that's not the only time that's said. 
<laughs> They're looking for the Messiah, but with a nat to the natural mind, what does is, what is Nathaniel say? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip says, come see. Come see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming and said unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no God. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. I'll give you five things real quick this morning. The first thing that jumps out at me in this passage that I just read to you is the fact who sought who. <laughs> Our Lord Jesus Christ, what did he do? He sought and found Philip. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee. Philip wasn't coming looking for him. Our Lord goes where he's at, and he finds him. He finds this man, Philip. That word translated findeth means after searching to find the thing sought for. Our Lord searched diligently. Isn't that, isn't that how he's described? Remember the parable of the 99 sheep and the one that was lost? How did the shepherd look for it? He searched how? Diligently. It's the same word that was used in that both of those parables. You know, the parable of the, the, the 99 sheep and the one that was lost and the parable of the woman with the 10 coins. Nine she had and one fell off. And what did she do? She tore that place apart, searching diligently till she found that one sheep. But see, here's the thing. In each instance, whether it was a lost sheep or a lost coin, Andrew, Peter, or now Philip and Nathaniel, they were still all in the same condition. Where were they? They were lost. They were without hope in and of themselves. But thank God our Lord said that he was not sent but to who? How do you describe it? The lost sheep. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. When I wrote that into my notes this week, I couldn't help but think about when our Lord Jesus Christ went to that place and found Zacchaeus up in that tree. Remember what he said to Zacchaeus? Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. He didn't say, I, today I've come to offer you salvation. What did he say? This day salvation's here in this house. For as much as he, this, this guy, this Levite that everybody hated, that was up in a tree out of curiosity trying to see our Lord Jesus Christ because he was small in stature. He says, this man, he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of God is to come to seek and to save that which was lost. So the first thing we see is what? They're lost. And they need a Savior. Here's the second thing this passage teaches us. These men were all brought to a knowledge and understanding that they were sinners. And as sinners, they looked for and they waited for. And by God's grace, they embraced Messiah 
as their Savior. Listen to these passages. Look at verse 45 and 49. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We, this is just after he's heard, heard Christ speak. He says, We found him of whom Moses and the law and in the prophets did write. It's not in my notes, but I, I think about over in John chapter 4. Remember that woman at the well? What did she tell our Lord? Remember what she said? She said, we know when Jesus comes, he'll know everything about it. We've been, she was a woman in Samaria. And she said, we know these things. We, we down here. We, we're not Jews. We know. We've heard. And when she went into that town after Christ had delivered her from sin, what would she tell everybody? She said, come meet a man that had told me everything about my life. Is not this the very Christ of God, the one that's promised? The one that's sent? It said, Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. The Jews, including the Pharisees and the scribes and the Pharisees, they were looking for a king, weren't they? They were looking for one like David. But as we've already seen, they were looking for the wrong deliverance. And therefore, since they were looking for the wrong deliverance, what did they They were looking for the wrong kind of king. Matter of fact, you think about it, every unregenerate sinner is looking for the wrong king, are they not? Listen to this. This is our Lord was on the cross. And they said to him, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Now listen to this language here. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe him. <laughs> He came off that cross, did he not? Now, he still didn't believe him. But you think about that. On another occasion when our Lord Jesus Christ perceived that they would come and take him and make him a king, a king of what? A king, an earthly king. What did he do? He departed again unto a mountain himself alone. Why? His kingdom's not of this world. Had nothing to do with an earthly kingdom. When our Lord Jesus Christ stood before Pontius Pilate being accused of subverting Roman rule, Pilate asked our Lord Jesus Christ, Art thou a king then? You a king? Our Lord looked at Pontius Pilate and said, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into this world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth, they hear my voice. Folks, the unregenerate mind cannot, nor will it ever bow to the reality that they are under the kingship of sin, that they are under sin's guilt, under its penalty, and under its condemnation and power. And since they can't see the reality of sin, you know what, just like these Jews... They don't think they need deliverance from it. Our Lord stood before these same Jews now that have sent out to inquire at him. He spake these words, many believed on him. Get this in your mind. As he spake these words, you know the truth, truth sets you free. Spake these words, many believed on him. 
Then said Jesus unto the Jews, same Jews, which believed on him, they gave middle agreement to him, if you continue in my words, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Next words out of their mouth. Then answered they him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Christ wasn't talking about freedom from Roman rule. Huh? Talking about a different deliverance. Jesus answered and said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin, see, he puts it in context, Father. Whosoever commits sin, what are they? They're under the servitude of what? Not wrong. Sin. And listen, the servant abides not in the house, but the son abides forever. So if the one that's the son who abides in the house of God forever, if he makes you free, they, they give us a king. He makes you free. You'll be free how? That's, that's the freedom I want. How about you? Free from sin's guilt, from its penalties, and its condemnation. Unlike these Jews, Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, they were looking for the promised seed. These men, you think about it, these men, Philip, Peter, Andrew, Nathaniel, they had, they had been under and had served the same law of Moses. They had heard the same law of Moses. They had read the same and heard the same psalms that David spoke. They had read and had been instructed from the words from the prophets, both the major and minor prophets. Yet they were looking for and they were hastening for what? A deliverer. But not a deliverer from Roman rule. What were they wanting? They were wanting to be free from sin. Can't help but think of old Simeon. He always comes into my mind when he held our Lord Jesus Christ in his arms. He said, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation, the deliverance of Israel. The Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed in him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Think about that. Seeing God's Christ, the deliverer. He came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to him to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. Job said, I've heard of you with my ear, but now my eye sees you. And when we see him with that eye of God-given faith, what did he do? His next words, I, I repent in sackcloth and ashes. What? Lord, don't give me what I've earned and merited. Give me what is according to your grace and your mercy. He says, I, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of thy people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Aren't Philip and Nathaniel similar to Simon's words? 
we have found him of whom Moses in the law and in the prophets did write. What? We've seen God Christ. Where is he? Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. But here's the third thing. All these called by Christ are brought to true faith and true repentance. It says the day following, verse 43, Jesus would go into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Learn something this week in studying about this. That word follow, you know what it means? You don't think about it like this. I mean, you know, we played follow the leader when we were children. And that meant whoever was in the lead, we just followed them. But this word follow here has got a deeper meaning than that. The word translated follow here, it means to join one as a disciple. <laughs> it means to become or be his disciple. Or it means to side with his party. Take side with his party. Now we know Philip, what did he immediately become? He became a disciple. He became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ because the first thing he did was what? Go out and find his brother and bring him to the Lord Jesus Christ and tell him, come see the the Christ of God, the one promised to God. And here's the thing. When our Lord called him and spoke to him, what did he do? He immediately followed. There was no hesitancy. There was no thinking about it, no decision to be made because when God calls his sheep, what do they do? They follow. Listen to this. Then came the Jews round about and said unto him, How long do you make us to doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Folks, that's in John chapter 10. He's turned water into wine. He's fed 5,000. He's raised the dead. And they look at him and they said, If you're the Christ, don't make us doubt. Tell us plainly. He could not tell them any more plain than what he's told them. Jesus answered them, I've told you repeatedly what you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, what? They bear witness of me. I'm who I said I, said, or said I was and I'm the one sent of God. But you believe, listen, boy, these are some damning words here. But you believe not because you're not my sheep. He was plain, as I said. He told these people, you're not my sheep. Then he turns it around the other way. My sheep, those given to me by the Father in everlasting covenant of grace, those who I represent as their surety, substitute, redeemer, savior, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. That word know means to have an intimate relationship with. I love them. And they follow me. And I give unto them, my sheep, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Christ used that same word, follow. Meaning all those that he calls, every one of them, you and me included, what do they become? They become his disciples, his followers. We take his side. Here's the fourth thing we learn from these words. The confession of all those called of God and born by the Spirit of God. Nathaniel answered and said unto him, Rabbi, meaning teacher, instructor, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Listen to the Apostle John's words. 
on this all-important aspect of true faith and true repentance. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. The word translated Jesus Christ is significant. It gets, that word Jesus Christ gets cast around kind of like a mantra in our day. You do realize in the scriptures, every name had a meaning. They didn't just take a book out like we did when Matthew was born. We were, you know, he surprises came early. We didn't have a name, and we were scrapping trying to come up with a name before we came up with Matthew, Stephen. Back then, when they named people, they, names meant something. You know, I mean, you think about Methuselah, the name Methuselah. You know what it means? And when he is gone, it shall come. And when Methuselah died, what came? <laughs> Jesus Christ means a lot more than what the Mexicans call Jesus. It's not just a name. Folks, it's a title. It's an indication of who this person is. And that word translated Jesus Christ, the word Jesus, what does it mean? Jehovah is salvation. And the word Christ, what does it mean? It means the anointed. Literally, the Son of God, the Messiah. And this was a confession of every Old Testament saint. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of what? That the Messiah was coming. And embraced them that what? He would put away sin. And confessed what? They're strangers and pilgrims down here in this world. It was a confession of Abraham. What saith the scriptures? Abraham believed God. It was accounted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. But to him that worketh not but believeth on him who justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. And I tell you what, this confession by Nathaniel is our confession. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that by this man, by this person is preached unto you, what? The forgiveness of sin. And by him all who believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. But here's the last thing we learn from these words. And this to me is so important to me as a sinner. Christ's declaration of the state or standing of all those he represented as their surety, their substitute, their mediator, their redeemer, and thank God as their friend. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no God. Let me be as direct and, and brief as I can. On this phrase, behold an Israelite indeed. There's no doubt, when you think about it, that Nathaniel and his brother Philip were both Israelites by birth. There's no questioning that. But that's not what our Lord Jesus Christ means when he made this statement, behold an Israelite indeed. When the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, spoke concerning his national citizenship when he was in a state of unregeneracy, 
he said this of himself. Now, this is when he's speaking of himself under the, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about before he was converted. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, I'm not a half-breed. I am a true Jew. Paul also wrote this, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither, because they are the seed of Abraham, are they his children. But in Isaac, the child of promise, shall thy seed be called. In Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, Paul made it about as clear as he can. For he is not a Jew who is one inwardly. Neither is circumcision. No, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one how? Inwardly. Circumcision is that of the heart. What are we talking about there? Regeneration and conversion. In the spirit. And not in letter whose praise is not of men, but who's our praise from? Our praise is of God. That, the root word for the word Israelite, you know what it is? It's Israel. And the word Israel, you know what Israel means, in the, especially in the New Testament? It means Christian. It means the Israel of God. Paul used it like this, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy upon the Israel of God. He said, Behold an Israelite indeed. That word indeed means in truth. In reality. So Christ was declaring of him and all God's elect in every generation, what are they truly? They're the Israel of God. Which he was sent to seek and to save. I wrote this into my notes this morning right before I came here. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from that ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord... And there's no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. These Jews that sent to inquire of Christ, they, that's who they should have been looking for, a just God and a Savior. There's none beside me. That's all this God's about, a just God and a Savior. Look unto me, who? A just God and a Savior. And be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, both Jew and Gentile. God's people from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. For I am God and there's none else. I've sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess. Where do you see that at? Philippians chapter 2. It's not talking about to those in hell bowing. Who's... Who, Every knee will bow and every tongue of Israel will confess. What will they confess? Surely shall one say, 
in the Lord have our righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come and all that are enraged against this person, this Messiah, shall be ashamed in the Lord. Listen to this. In the Lord shall the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. As for this next statement, he said of man, Nathaniel, in whom is no God. In whom is no God. I was kind of puzzled when I was studying this this week. And I read a lot of different commentators, a lot of old men that wrote on this thing, and I read a lot of different things about it, but a lot of them said that this statement, in whom is no God, that what our Lord meant by this when he said this to Nathaniel was that he was a sincere, dedicated, religious person. That's kind of my reaction when I read that. Some of them even wrote, they went this far, because, you know, they said that where was he at? He was under a fig tree. And they said that the religious people, including the scribes and Pharisees, you know, they, they spent their time because the fig tree at that time was a big tree. And they stood under the fig tree because of the leaves for the shade in the cool. And that's where they read the scriptures at. It's in the shade. And they tried to make that connection, and that's what's going on there, that he was a sincere, dedicated guy just studying his tail off, you know, and trying to to learn more and know more and get closer. But listen, sincerity and morality, that's not the issue here. It's not what our Lord's dealing with. This word translated guile means craft, deceit, or subtlety. And I know one thing. You know what guile is? If you have guile, what is it? It's sin. Right? The wages of sin, death. And yet our Lord looks at Nathaniel and he said, this is the Lord of glory, looks at a man and he says, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Not, he meant by that not an inkling of guile. Now, the inkling of deceit or subtlety or craftiness. Well, was Christ saying that Nathaniel wasn't a sinner? Is that what he meant by that? This is the man that is sinlessly perfect. Is that what our Lord was saying when he made this statement? Absolutely not. What was Nathaniel? Nathaniel was a sinner. Nathaniel was looking for a savior, a redeemer. I think the passage that clears it up is the one we read in the call to worship this morning. Because it uses a similar word. Blessed transgressions forgiven. Blessed sins covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Comma. And whose spirit is no guile. So you know what that lets me know? The one that has no guile, what's already occurred for him? (laughs) His iniquities are covered. His transgressions are forgiven. And listen, thank thank God, he will never have sin charged to him. Ever! You say, preacher, you say that, people will live like they want to. I'm pretty much certain you live like you want to anyhow, if we're honest. 
That Hebrew word, no guile, there used in Psalm 32, it means no lackness, no slackness, no slackening, no deceit, no treachery. Religious people like to turn the order around on this thing. And they like to make, they think something like this. They think that the one in whom there's no lackness, no slackness, no deceit, no treachery, they'll have their sins forgiven. That's not what this says. It's exact opposite. The one who's blessed, the one who has eternal life, the one in whom is no guile. What? Why do they have no guile? Their sins are put away. Remember King David? When Nathan told him that story. And see, people, people, religious people forget all these things. Find me in the scriptures where David was walking around mourning about what he had done with Bathsheba or Uriah the Hittite. Find it for me. Find where he had ever admitted that he had at any point in time up to when Nathan confronted him. Show me from the scriptures where David was mourning and weeping about the fact that he had got this woman pregnant, a man's wife pregnant, and put him to death to cover his treachery. You tell me that wasn't guile in that man. And Nathan tells him that story about the little ewe lamb and David becomes enraged. Remember? And he says, the man that did this thing fourfold. And old Nathan pointed that finger at him. He said, David, you're the man. What was David's next words? Huh? Nathan, I pray that you would pray to God that this would not be charged to me. What were Nathan's words to King David? Who could, Nathan? David could have ordered Nathan put to death and nobody could have stopped him. What was his next words? Nathan's words today. The Lord hath put away thy sin. That was where this is born from, Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose iniquities are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not charge sin. He knew he was filled with guile in his own person. But as he stood in Christ, what was he? He was without guile. He was holy. He was unblameable. He was unreprovable in his sight. Made the very righteousness of God in him. I ask you to ask yourself and answer one question in your own mind this morning. Are you an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile? Are you? I tell you, if you are, you know where you're at this morning? If any man be in Christ, new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. How are they become new? Only one way. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Don't you thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. What a blessedness to know that God will never charge sin to you ever because every single solitary sin you have ever committed or will ever commit, Christ bore them all in his body on the tree and by his stripes we're healed. And you know what? God's children don't use that to excuse their remaining sinfulness but we use it as a motivation to trust and believe our God that He's faithful and He will never 
never leave us, and he will never forsake us. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed. Lord, bless you. Keep you till we see you next Lord's Day. Pray that he'll bless that word to your heart, mind, and understanding. Kenny, if you would, dismiss us, please. Father in heaven, almighty God, Lord, we're so thankful to have this opportunity to once again come back here to meet with each brother in a right special place, Lord. Father, it is indeed a privilege to have a place where we can come and meet together. Lord, we're so thankful, Father, for satisfaction for our sins, for a representative substitute who absolutely and completely and eternally wiped away our sins through his own obedience unto death, even the death of the cross. Lord, I pray that you would take us from this place, that you would protect us as we travel to our respective homes. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would bring us back at the next point in time. For it's in Christ's name.